0: So I want to bring it up now because how dare
1: you? How dare me? How, how dare you? The Matrix was just okay. <laughs> the Matrix redux was just okay. I, You know, it just, um, we talked in another podcast about how I had watched an hour of it. I was tired, went to sleep, and it was okay up until that point. So I was looking forward to, to watch the rest of it and see it give me a reason why they made it beyond the fact that they had to or they were going to remake it with chris pratt <laughs> or whoever you know like Warner brothers would do eventually or michael b jordan maybe i don't know they, they might have went in a different route and it really just didn't really give me that i just don't know why it would be i would prefer to watch the original because i feel like this was just a step-by-step redo of it and then my issues with it is neil patrick harris has just the word like just like ugh. let's just hear him talk for twenty minutes and try to explain. So lame. And whenever anyone picks up an apple or a piece of fruit and does anything with it, it's because they don't know what the fuck to do with the actor. It, with the hands. Yes, because they have so much to say. They all I, I this happens, I guarantee you, I can only think of one other example, but this happens often. They just they try to busy themselves because they know they have horrible long dialogue that they got to get through uh in the um loki finale with the guy who played kang the conqueror he's eating an apple at the very end when he's trying to explain everything i think yeah but yeah. yeah You know what I mean? Like I I spotted immediately when he had an apple in his hand. I was like, oh, fuck, we're going to be in for 20 minutes of dialogue now and it's going to suck. And that's exactly what I felt with Neil Patrick Harris. It was horrible. And also Trinity. Hey, let's wait an hour and a half, two hours before she actually is used in any way whatsoever. And then at the end, they try to pretend like she's just as important as Neo. And yet they did nothing with her for like two hours. So those things really stood out to me. and Lana Wachowski clearly had no interest in making this and made it very clear, but did it anyways. So those are my those are my issues, which didn't make it a bad movie. I just there was no reason for it to exist as a sequel, which we talk about sequels all the time. It just didn't stand out why it would even be worth your time. That's all. Well, we are going to put a nice bow on that
0: conversation when we get towards the end of this episode. Welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, grandmothers of all ages, we love you, to this episode of Aaron and Justin Talk sequels. Today, I'm not gonna introduce Aaron, screw him. Uh, today we're talking about about the two thousand what is it, 17? seventeen? Seventeen. Two thousand seventeen follow up to the nineteen ninety six film Train Spotting. Yes, we are talking T Two, a movie spotting. Train Spotting, a movie titled After Another Movie, just to annoy their director. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Which is. T2. Like, <laughs> uh, when did T2 come out? 91,
1: I think. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, he went into a lot of detail. As in Terminator about, 2. About how
1: Terminator couldn't sue them. And so I, mean, I didn't I read any like of this. That's interesting. But let me just Not say thank detail. you for letting me go on a rant about The Matrix. And then you don't even follow up. You just say, I'll get back to that later. Yeah. Like, you going to get back to that later. You just left me blue balls. I don't know what your problem is here. <laughs> you don't do that to somebody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is my right. Okay. That's some um, bullshit.
0: So, we're talking
1: train spotting. This is a movie you picked for some reason. The one we did before this, if the audience hears it in order, was Bad Lieutenant, which I did pick. And Justin says, this is how you know it's an Aaron pick, because it's depressing as hell. So what do you pick the next week? <laughs> spotting, A mindful, or mind you, an uplifting portrayal, but still uh, inherently very depressing. However, with the uh, fanciful, fun editing of Danny Boyle movies, you wouldn't know it from the outside. This, this
0: was my fault. And Spotting was a movie that I remembered mostly for its more famous scenes i remembered spud shitting the bed i remembered uh ian mcgregor's dong obviously who wouldn't but past those two scenes i don't know if teenage me really absorbed a lot i knew i wasn't into heroin at a young age so that part didn't yeah. i wasn't part of those kids corrupted by this movie but didn't
1: grab you. as bob dole eloquently said and then he admitted he never actually saw the movie which is <laughs> never actually saw the movie politicians admit when asked about it, when, when a follow-up question comes about one of their problems with mass media in 1996 a man named Bob Dole a senator uh, ran for president against
0: Bill Clinton and he campaigned on the moral failures of the liberal people and moved, used train spotting as an example of uh, making drugs look good yeah
1: and how we're terrible people
0: And he had never actually seen the movie.
1: Can you think of a film that had come out where something like drug use is glorified in an intentional way and how it's so cool and that kids should do it? Like, I can't think of a movie that actually (laughs) is like that. Well, I mean... On the face of it,
0: there's movies, but at, if you actually paid attention to the moral of the movie.
1: That's what I mean. Like, if you're Bob Dole looking at it from the outside. <laughs> no. Uh, they See, they only look at it like showing or talking about those things corrupts youth. But the filmmakers and any artist would tell you, we're showing and talking about those things to tell people this is what can happen, and it's always negative. I don't know anything that's positive. It's like uh, currently what's happening where they ban books. That's really weird. It's weird. Like they, it's like they're educators. They understand that it's not glorifying negative stereotypes or our past history. It makes people uncomfortable to see truths. We don't want to put that in front of our kids because it's uncomfortable for them. But it just looks bad, you know? It's really dumb. I mean, did you see Moss? I didn't see it. I read it. Well, yeah, like... (laughs) Well, I guess I did see it. It was a graphic novel. Yeah, it was amazing. It was one of those books yeah.
0: in the 90s. It was great. It's one of the few comics I still have. I, was there two editions? I feel like there's two editions. I additions. think there was a
1: sequel to it as well. Yeah, I
0: have both, I believe.
1: But anyway, it like gets insane to ban that. Stephen King uh, has a good quote where he says, it never bothered him to hear uh, when school's Uh, banned books because you're given the title so go to your library that's non-school related and immediately pick up that book and read it because you're trying to see what they want to hide from you yeah i read that quote was that the one that started with don't do any stupid bullshit like standing outside and yelling and holding i didn't really care for that part i paraphrased to make it sound better i mean i don't want he sounds like a complainer for a little bit because you can certainly protest if you want to i think that's fine i just like the idea of what are they trying to hide from you you should go find it out for yourself yeah, it's just the sensitivity. It's the sensitivity of people nowadays where they think that kids can't handle things or shouldn't be exposed to things. And I just don't think that's right because you try to be so progressive that you end up circling back around to being prejudiced or a bigot. We, we don't want kids to read about this uncomfortable Nazi holocaust thing where you circle around actually becoming a denier without even realizing it. <laughs> that's nicely put. I like that. That's just what I yeah.
0: think. It's a perfect segue back to train spotting the movie (laughs) well it's it's full
1: of difficult subject matter But I think the filmmaker, uh, Danny Boyle, and the writer, uh, Irving, Irving, is it Welsh or Walsh? Writer of the book
0: Irving Welsh and screenplay by John Hodge.
1: Yeah, I think they were trying to show a side of Scotland that even in the late 90s, they could probably see was changing. Because when you watch the sequel, everything's changed, as most things have. Like, it's just not the same Edinburgh that it was when Ewan McGregor's character Renton was growing up. But I think even in the late '90s, they probably witnessed a change, and it was just their way of documenting how hard life was at that point. I see it as them not glorifying it, but just you know showing us a slice of life in a fun, joyful, <laughs> fast-cut edit kind of way.
0: Yes, the fest I was very curious after watching Train Spotting if we had seen Danny Boyle mature enough yet, and if Train Spotting two would look like something completely different because he was set in such a different place. Mm-hmm. But he did a pretty good job of keeping the styles similar. What did you think there? You're better at that. Yeah,
1: I think for sure. The thing about Danny Boyle to me is that he is train spotting. Like that's his way of making movies. And I like that. What's his name? Uh, Who did Shaun of the Dead? What's his name? Edgar Wright. I think he's a similar. Maybe a little bit of Paul Thomas Anderson is kind of like that as well. But I think those guys are like three for example, are kind of originals in their craft of 90s filmmaking. So when anybody else tries to do this copycat editing, I feel like they're posers. But when Danny Boyle does it, I feel like that's the guy who does it right. And anytime he's made a Hollywood film, I always just feel like it's too much. Like Slumdog Millionaire, I just don't care for his kind of, I don't care for him making those kind of movies because his style fits better with independent. So that's why Trainspotty to me is his ultimate movie. But admittedly, I haven't seen every one of his films, but I've seen quite a lot of them let's run through this real
0: quick because this is the style of director that we don't cover very often so he starts he starts in 94
1: with shallow grave have you ever seen it i haven't no but it's also written by john hodge stars Ian mcgregor they it's about some roommates who find a dead body and they steal uh the money from the from the dead person and they have to like bury him or something that that's as far as i know about it Apparently, the the heroin dealer in spotting is also
0: in Shallow Grave, and it's insinuated that they're the same guy, which is fun.
1: Yeah, that's fun.
0: Um, and then he goes on to A Life Less Ordinary. Now, this is right in the middle
1: of us discovering movies and going to see them a lot. Did you see it? I saw A Life Less Ordinary immediately. I don't remember seeing it in the theaters, but I may have. But there's like the slight memory in my brain that maybe I did see it. When I saw the movie poster and I saw... How Ian McGregor was dressed, that's when it clicked. So very 90s, him and Cameron Diaz. That is like the ultimate 90s style movie, I think. As far as the clothing style goes. And and maybe his hair. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it it very labeled the time. And
0: then he broke with Ian McGregor for the first time and starred Leonardo DiCaprio in The Beach. Apparently this started some kind of rift. I didn't read up much on it, but yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. Because I think originally it was supposed to be Ian and then something happened. I think it's Ewan, by the Ewan. way. Ian. Ewan. You say Ian, but it's Ewan. All right, Obi-Wan. So <laughs> him and Obi-Wan have a split. He makes the beach with DiCaprio. It does fine. And then he goes and he makes 28 Days Later. Like this guy makes possibly the most seminal zombie movie right at the beginning of zombie resurgence. Obviously,
1: I don't mean all time. I mean, modern zombie movies. How's that? And also it was uh, shot digitally. And he and like Robert Rodriguez were two of the very first adopters. You could probably throw George Lucas in there too. We can make cinema style films using video and you'll be okay with it. And I like 28 Days Later because it still has kind of a video look to it sometimes, but it works. And the technology has only improved to the point where now, yeah, everything's digital practically unless you're christopher nolan and stuck in the past doing film which is fine yeah so that stood out to me too is that he was one of the early champions of digital and it so worked with 28 days later which is such a good film
0: yeah and so we have like four just solid solid movies and then we have millions i
1: remember uh, our good friend doug wouldn't shut up about millions <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> he, really he just loved that movie and I had never seen it. It was about some kid. And then he does Sunshine, which I also have never it's seen. It's like a space film. Yeah, I sci-fi think, right? psychological yeah.
0: thriller written by Alex Garland. Who's Alex Garland? Alex Garland, directed. He wrote 28 Days Later, Sunshine, Never Let Me Go, Dread. And then he got into directing with Ex Machina. Oh, yeah, right. And then he made Annihilation. Oh, yeah, that now, guy. Okay. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know he was the same, same guy. Yeah, he's he's good. I like him. That's a pretty Big good fan. filmography so far. Yeah. So, yeah, they make Sunshine. This guy can't
0: just, even if he has a couple movies that are whatever, then he goes and makes Slumdog
1: Millionaire mm-hmm. and is at the height of the world again. Certainly his most Hollywood film. Academy, Academy Award winner, just everything. Didn't he win, like, that movie win all the Academy Awards? It won an 8 out of 10, I believe.
0: God yes it it was huge it's
1: just one of those movies man and then after that he did 127 hours which i've also never heard of oh yeah that's a good one that's really Uh, see that one i liked because coming off of slumdog millionaire which i liked but i was just like eh, whatever is that the thing where the guy cut true story really well done it's a really good film but yeah it's a little difficult because his arm is crushed in a rock the whole movie and then he has to cut it off with a like a pen knife (laughs) <laughs> that I don't think I could ever write it's, it's or great. watch. It's great. It's a great film, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like wow. But it's it's a credit to Danny Boyle's uh, directing and editing, where he comes up with fascinating ways to show how this guy is stuck doing nothing for 127 hours, and and this especially in the scene where he has to cut his arm off. Like it's really well done. But you would do. But I think you would feel the same way if you watched that movie because nobody Not knew really. where he was. Nobody could find him. He was going to die. You're 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 building up to their to the point where you're just like, Wow, I would probably do the same fucking thing or else pathetically die because you were too scared to do it. So what are you gonna do? So it's a good film, I recommend it.
0: You're gonna watch it. I'm never gonna you're watch, gonna watch it. it. After that he made a movie called <laughs> Trance, which I've never heard of. I've never seen that. Uh, starring again, it looks good. A 2013 psychological thriller starring James McAvoy, Rosario Dawson. And then he goes and he makes Steve Jobs, the Aaron Sorkin one, which is the one that I haven't seen, and it's supposed to be good.
1: I don't know. I just don't. I don't care about Steve Jobs. Yeah, that was. It's my just problem. too soon for me. I don't know. Movie watchers are like, I wonder how Hollywood could make could tell this story. I wonder how they could dramatize this for in two hours, and then somebody goes out and makes the movie. I just think it's bizarre. So it just doesn't interest me as much. Like I need a lot of time to pass
0: no i know and those movies like how many 9-11 movies are there because there was like one with nick cage that world trade center yeah there's the one about on the plane that the guys
1: took down like there's a lot of 9-11 movies that i will never watch but a lot of that i think has to do with studios gobble up the rights and it's a for sure money maker and then they just get somebody involved and i'm sure that's how the world trade center movie with oliver stone came about we want to make this movie. It'll make money. What do you think, Oliver? We'll pay you this much. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll do it. We got Nick Cage. Okay, cool. And then they just make it. But for Danny Boyle to do Steve Jobs and for Aaron Sorgan even write it, I feel like it's a real passion project for them, and that's what I just don't get. Like yeah. it...
0: After that, in 2017, he makes Train Spotting 2 called T2, and they said that was an issue with search engine optimization. Like T2 would just pull up Terminator, yeah. so they had to do T2 train spotting for right. people to be able to find it and then his last
1: movie was yesterday which i didn't even realize he did yesterday I watch it. yesterday feels like slumdog millionaire to me and that i just has no interest i just think it's a cheesy plot and i could care less that one i wanted to see cheesy i can go for yeah i, I love the beatles slumdog, but i'm just like ah, this is dumb
0: you know how you love the beatles what if they weren't there
1: i know it's such as i don't know man it could be a good film. I'm not saying it's not, but I just was like, really? All right. So,
0: the biggest thing with Danny Boyle's filmography so he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. He's made 13 films. That's pretty good. How many has he written? He wrote one. He wrote 127 hours. Oh, you wrote that. Oh, okay, so, cool. you're so used to writer directors showing us their vision. This is a guy who doesn't necessarily write the stories. He just has a vision for how the stories should look. Yeah, And I just always find it interesting when these guys with a strong directorial vision don't always write their own shit. It's because you know what a Danny
1: Boyle movie looks like. It seems like he and en- he encompasses every part of the movie that it almost doesn't even matter that he doesn't write it because it becomes such his vision. I think like a, more than a lot of filmmakers So it doesn't bother me that he doesn't write them. I mean, it never bothers me. I mean, because that's that's the movie business. It's a collaborative business. You have writers, you have directors. I think I gravitate more to films where people actually write and direct their own stuff just because I am way more of an auteur where I just think if you're even going to do a movie, why wouldn't you just want to be a part of every reason it's being made from the inception to the conclusion? That's just me. Yeah, I completely agree. Another guy that comes to mind is Tim Burton. Tim Burton doesn't write most of his stuff. Yeah, um, right. And even him, but when he started, he made movies because they were generally his idea. And that's why he went after him. He would just get people that were better at writing than him to write them. But then it obviously moved away from there once he was out of ideas, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> once he had creatively dried up. Exactly. Also, which coincided, I'm.
0: that's not verified. I don't know if this is the truth, but... Uh, it kind of coincided with him actually starting to kiss women. Like when he was able to start date
1: and figured that out, he got a lot less dark. And Oh, okay. When he became, yeah. when his uh, creepy goth exterior became a uh, thing that actually attracted women <laughs> instead of repelled them. Yeah. Yeah, you could be right. Well, I mean, I always say like people end up making their worst movies because they have uh, all the money in the world to make it when you don't have any money to make a movie is generally when you do your best work because you're more creative and you have to think things through. That's probably why I think Trainspotting is his best film. In simpler terms, people always seem to make their best work when they're not happy that too yeah when people start being fulfilled and happy then it's like oh, all down the toilet yeah and when nobody knows what you're doing nobody cares what you're doing nobody likes you nobody's interested in you that's when you tend to do your best work as well <laughs> but when everybody loves you and they want you and women love you yeah you probably don't have to try as hard that's tim burton <laughs> <laughs> that's tim burton <laughs> no offense i love tim burton because you yeah. know what tim burton still comes back around every once in a while and makes a cool movie so i got no problems if he wants to do some disney crap every once in a while like dumbo Eh, whatever the kids liked it yeah
0: the reason i thought it was interesting that he didn't write trained spotting is it's another of many 90s movies some of which we've talked about on this podcast that have young characters that have absolutely no idea what they're doing with their lives and or they're wasting their lives and it just hit me when i was watching the first train spotting that jesus we watched a lot of this shit in the 90s yeah i mean clerks is the easiest example and it's all about this generation that have no idea what the fuck is going on and we're watching different segments of it react To that, what the hell was the
1: 90s in terms of this gigantic shift in the way that people viewed growing up? I'll take it back a little further, and we've talked about these movies too. Uh, the new Hollywood films of the late 60s, early 70s this is when that started because all these disenfranchised people that were born after World War II grew up and were asking those same questions what are we doing with our lives? So like The Graduate, Five Easy Pieces, The Last Picture Show. Those are the kind of movies they've made in the 70s. And then all these 90s directors grew up on those movies. So I think they watched those movies like Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Danny Boyle. Those were some of their favorite movies growing up. And they were asking the same questions in this new generation of Gen X. And that's why we're getting New Hollywood 2.0, basically. I would maybe throw Pulp Fiction into there, but that's more about like gangster stuff. Arguably the same topic, just the people themselves are older like yeah reservoir dogs kind of thing they're older they're professionals but they're still asking those same questions perhaps roughly the same age group as the guys in train spotting too. we'd be seeing them be more mature in doing that kind of depravity yeah that's true yeah Maybe more Reservoir Dogs than Pulp Fiction, just because Pulp Fiction to me is like Sam Jackson's film. And he's definitely, I mean, he was almost like 50 probably at that point when he was making that movie. So he doesn't count as a kid. And neither does John Travolta or Bruce Willis. So I don't know. I don't know how that fits in. But the style of filmmaking uh, compares in my mind, I guess. But even El Mariachi, for instance, you know, like there's a young kid who doesn't know what he's doing with his life and is just trying to make a go being a musician or something and he gets mixed up into shit so I would even maybe throw that kind of movie in there. New Hollywood 2.0 that's what I'm thinking and Danny Boyle was right in the middle of there. 19 uh, Sorry I got
0: distracted by um, the underage chicken train spotting. Yeah Kelly MacDonald for sure yeah are kind of Not really I was looking through her filmography uh, but no way I don't want to shit on what you were
1: saying um <laughs> Had you finished your thought? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Sorry. No, we well, were talking no, was... about disenfranchised youths kind yeah. of movies, and yeah, I agree with you. This is one of those movies. So given that we've watched a
0: lot of them, especially when we were teenagers, did they fuck us up?
1: <laughs> they didn't fuck us up, but it certainly made me ask a lot of questions, and I think it, it more more so music that I got into at the time, but also films led me to do what I do today you know, I like to be creative and I got jobs that I didn't have to have any schooling for. I just used my own talent and creativity. And that's how I've always uh, been employed and got jobs and kind of just did things in my own way. And luckily I found places to uh, be employed that let me do that. So I think that music and movies have, have really... Uh, that we saw in the 90s led me into what who I am today. So I don't know if train spotting stood out in my mind as one of those movies at the time, but I see it now.
0: Well, let's run through this plot real quick. There's some young men in another country, they do a lot of drugs, they sell some drugs, and it kind of ends the end. <laughs> That's train spotting um, for you. Did I miss anything?
1: Uh, well, we can get into it because uh. I think uh, e- Ewan McGregor, uh, I was talking to my wife about him. I bet when he was in school, like high school, doing drama or whatever he was doing, uh, or even college, I bet, you know, because everybody wants to be an actor when they're a kid. Almost everybody does. But there's some people that just stand out, and I bet he was that guy where everybody was just like, fuck, Ewan McGregor, he is going to be huge someday. Like, they just knew it. Because when you watch Trainspotting, he was born to be an actor. Like, he carries that movie just in the his crazy uh energy and just everything about him it was just like it was obvious that Ian mcgregor was just a powerhouse actor yes i agree
0: and we've talked about Ian mcgregor obi-wan on this podcast before can you
1: not say ewan ewan i just kind of throw it off ewan 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 ewan
0: there you go we've talked about Obi-Wan on this podcast before (laughs) and how he doesn't have a lot of huge hits he's got a zillion movies and he's a workhorse but his hits are far and few between but everybody knows him yeah and probably because of Star Wars I would say well yeah but
1: I mean people know Ewan Ewan people know when you when you think about it you mess it up but you just gotta let it let it fly off your tongue Ewan Ewan people know Ewan McGregor there you go But this movie is fun because the
0: casting is so spot on. Even though I hadn't remembered or watched this film in 20 years, you remember each and every character because they were so damn distinct. You remember Spud. You remember Johnny Lee Miller. God damn,
1: he has aged well.
0: And you remember Robert Carlyle, even though you don't really remember
1: anything that robert Carlyle was in unless you look it up yeah well the funny thing is is that my my wife and daughter watch once upon a time yes the abc show yep, and i knew it immediately right when i saw him in train spotting i remembered. i was like that's him from the show and she was like no and i'm just like it is because he's such a different character that you're surprised at his quality of acting because all you see him on is this long-running abc show and it's just not fair (laughs) that he wasn't i mean it's it's great it's great to have a a show that you can get a paycheck from for like eight years or however long once upon a time was on and you show up to the same set you do you do good work but the quality of robert Carlyle's performance and train spotting i just feel like he should have he should have been used way more than he than he was
0: looking at his filmography he's got stuff here and there but almost all of it is stuff i don't recognize and it just makes well no but he where is once upon a time so that was 2011 to
1: 2018 again he's probably done more united kingdom films and british films or whatever you know oh that's a good point he might have European stayed European movies yeah
0: in england yeah Robert Carlyle, as Big B, Begby?
1: Begbie. Are you going to pronounce for correct every well, get English it right mispronunciation? Yeah, Robert Carlyle. He's so just an asshole. Beat. I mean, they're all friends. There's Ewan McGregor who plays Renton or Rent Boy, uh, Johnny Lee Miller as Sick Boy. Who outspud. Spud and there's a Tommy and then begbie you know they're all just like dudes that are in edinburgh scotland and it's a shitty town and there's no prospects in life so they just steal to get money to get drugs and heroin is the huge thing and they just get fucked up all of the time and it's really just slices of life with these guys going through their daily drug habits trying to make a go of things and the funny things that happen but as, as, as uplifting and joyful the movie is when you watch it, even though they're doing horrible things. Every once in a while they throw something out there that that reminds you that this is not the way to be and this is horrible. Like they have a baby that lives in the drug house that they uh, are so fucked up they don't take care of it and it dies. They don't I mean it could be it looks like it was dead for days. They have no idea.
0: Yeah, Ballsy's showing
1: the dead baby. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: drug house and them their drug habit, it's fun because they make it very clear that they still live normal lives, that heroin is just part of those normal lives. They have girlfriends tommy is dating which one lizzie
1: allison tommy and allison are together i think so yeah and then spud is with gail yes because he has a daughter or he has a son with gail in the sequel so it is gail god do any of them work no they just hang out and You know, the funny thing about Sick Boy, uh, Johnny Miller's character, is that he's always putting on a suit, like he's going somewhere to work. And then he just gets fucked up on heroin. So I think that was just a nice little touch. Danny Boyle says that he always thought of the film as an ensemble cast and that there was no lead character. But Ewan McGregor's given the role of narrator as well as being Renton. And I think his story is most interesting to watch and he's the narrator so this is definitely Renton's movie this is definitely Ewan McGregor's movie no matter what Danny Boyle would want you to believe we're the most invested in him yeah for sure so basically what happens I mean you said they, they do heroin i said crazy things happen i mean is there anything that really ties this thing together i mean the beginning
0: portion of this movie is really getting to know them and their dynamics and there's little setups we have ian mcgregor visiting tommy and notices one of tommy's porn tapes and switches it and steals it
1: basically so he can watch some porn that was another 90s touch for me is all of the vhs cases in a line on the ground the amount of VHSs and stuff sitting on the ground was very accurate people really did display like and i I guess you still do to an extent but yeah movie collections were something to be wowed by anyway yeah so he's like borrowing a tape so he borrows a football one but it actually has a sex tape in there but yeah it might be that move is what kind of spirals the movie out of control it because is. the girlfriend is horrified that some, that, that the the sex tape is missing. So then their relationship fails. And then Tommy goes to Renton wanting to do heroin, which he had never done before. And Renton gives him heroin. Yeah. And then Tommy's life spirals out of control. He ends up getting HIV from sharing needles. He ends up dying. The baby dies. Things are messed up. That's really Tommy's story. I don't know if there's anything really super interesting about
0: him. Franco, Robert Carlyle, uh, he's... Yeah, Bigby. He likes hurting people. That's his thing. Big time. And so he spends most of this movie fighting people. Everybody's scared of him. Everybody hates him. But they kind of just deal with him because he's an old
1: friend. What are you going to do? He's just fucked up. He's like Marty McFly when he gets called a chicken. The sequels, at least. (laughs) And he's like, what did you call me? If like Marty McFly took out a knife and just like shibbed everybody. (laughs) That's Begbie. (laughs) Like he cannot stand... To be thought of as a pussy or anything like that, or he's always constantly showing his masculinity uh, in such a violent way. So he's always just fucking people up and and you know shattering glasses and just being a he's just a horrible person. That's yes. pretty much what it is. First half of the movie sets these characters
0: up. The second half of the movie is
1: a drug deal. Uh, Spud and. Renton get busted for shoplifting and then the Tommy dying from HIV kind of coincides with Renton getting cleaned up but his version of cleaned up is going to like Spud gets six months in prison Renton just has to go to rehab but he can't make it work like this whole rehab thing he's still getting methadone he's still getting effed up but at some point he leaves for London. And he gets a job uh, as a real estate selling stuff. So that's Uh, like the switch in the movie is that he actually does get cleaned up and he goes and tries to get a job. And
0: then his friends come and pull
1: him back in. Yeah. I mean, they live this life of transients. I need a place to stay. I need a place to stay. Well, they found out where Renton was. So Begbie goes and is like, hey, uh, you know, I'm on the run. So he needs a place to stay. And then Sick Boy ends up coming along, too. So then they start fucking up Renton's life again. They have a line
0: on a big score of heroin that a Russian sailor has. Yeah. But, of course, they don't have any money. But Renton is cleaned up, so he's got some money stashed. A little bit of savings. That that one little piece bothered me. So he's got $2,000 stashed for the return of $4,000 for a drug deal. It just doesn't seem like that good of a deal he... He just doesn't. felt
1: pressured because of his friends, I'm guessing. They also inadvertently make him lose his job. So he has no prospects again. I think he felt loyalty. And if we do this score, it'll lead... Me to do other things more successful. I don't know. Maybe that's what how drug addicts feel like. If we just do this one score, criminals feel if we do this one score, we'll do a better one after that. So maybe he was just like, "There's no point for me trying to get out of this life. Clearly, I'm stuck in it. Let's just do this." So because they can get sixteen grand, they end up getting sixteen grand from the drug deal, uh, and then they're gonna split it four ways between Rent, Sick Boy, Begbie, and Spud. And it kind of works. The thing that I liked
0: about that drug deal. You have suspense, like, is this going to work? Are they just going to fuck it up again? And it works. It works because the guy that they're selling the drugs to doesn't even respect them. They're doing something that they feel like is
1: big time, but to everybody else in the room, they're just as much of a loser as they think they are. That is a running theme throughout both movies, is how much of a loser they are. They're basically posers that try to look cool. So another reason why I don't, I really don't think the movie should be glamorized. It's clearly telling you that this is not the way to be, but you can have a little fun with it, but it all ends up shitty anyways. So don't be this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as at this point where Renton is like, it's not worth it. Like I want to try my own thing. I do want to maybe do something real with my life. So he ends up stealing. Is that what you took from it? That's how I took it. So he just takes the money from everybody while they're sleeping and runs off with a 16 grand.
0: I don't know if the movie had a marked moment where you're supposed to realize that there was a change in him, or if he was always the different, cleaned-up Renton, and he was—he didn't want anything to do with it. He'd been dragged back in. He was doing it from loyalty with friends, and he realized that like even loyalty to friends is bullshit.
1: Well, because he can't stand Begbie, yeah. he, he thinks that Sick Boy would have done the same thing if he was awake. He's probably right. The only one he felt bad about doing this to was Spud. So he ends up leaving four of the grand for Spud. I guess in his mind, he made he made the right choice. And then he heads off with the 16 grand. And that's pretty much it. Or 14 grand after he gave four to... So the movie ends... Uh, sorry, 12 grand after he gives four to Spud. Yes. Good job with your math, buddy. I don't want to sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: so proud of you. That's going to be one of our first pieces of merch someday. It's just a t-shirt 4 that has 16 plus 4 equals 12. Um, and yeah, so this movie that we were all watching ends with the lead character screwing over everyone, mm-hmm. deciding that the only important thing is himself, and
1: leaves. Leaves his family, leaves his friends, and that's it. I think it is. it was easier in 96 to disappear. Um, it'd be hard to do that nowadays. Somebody could always find you. The IRS
0: has a new website. They're working with a third-party contractor called ID.me, and it's a secure login for government websites, Mm -hmm. and you literally have to submit your photo, your license, and then have them scan your face, face ID technology. So my face imprint and my photo are in a government database now so that when they have the cameras on the streets and they do that scan, they're going to be Mm -hmm. able to quickly scan, and, and it's creepy. Yeah, it's science fact
1: now. It's not science
0: fiction. Really. <laughs> never say that again.
1: <laughs> never. <laughs> never. Um, science fact is not a thing we're making real. Uh, tweeted uh, Aaron. Yeah. Um, Some of the things that stand out to me of why Trainspotting is such a good film is that uh, the creativity Boyle has with the editing and the shots and stuff like when Retton's. High on heroin, and he has to, he overdoses, and how he sinks into the floor. And then, anytime they take his POV, it's always the carpet on the sides, like he's still in the floor. You know, things like that were just really clever. Uh, that really pushes the movie along when he has to dig in the disgusting toilet to get his suppositories out. Uh, super gross, but um, it's so over the top, dirty that it didn't bother me, right? This now, time- when when Spud has his shit flown across the room really pointless. I thought that was dumb. I thought, I thought it was enough for him to wake up knowing that he shat the bed <laughs> and then we could have left it there. But it just was like stupid, gross-out comedy. I didn't really care for what happened after that. It was pretty gross. Uh, And I love the constant talk of Iggy Pop because Iggy Pop was one of my favorites. And this movie did so much for Iggy Pop's career in the 90s because he was really flailing in the 90s. But Lust for Life kicks off the movie and it's such a uh, great drum sound and it works perfectly well with the movie that it really revitalized his career. And that was cool. I love Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop is cool. Uh, Kelly McDonald is Diane. Um, Yeah, she plays 15 year old even though she's 19 what happens there is that Renton ends up sleeping with this girl because once he got off heroin his libido as he puts it uh came roaring back and he just wanted to get laid so bad and then it's a funny scene because he has sex with this girl but then he wakes up and realizes he's in her house and she's just like a 15 year old school kid (laughs) which we've had to have had that trope before yeah because it was good it was effective yeah and now she was 19 when we when she shot it but at the same time wouldn't fly today but i think it's a good scene
0: and ian mcgregor has a great penis I'm
1: sure say and it. she was yeah. cute she's, she's oh really, yeah she was hot she was she was really good looking naked.
0: and she was 19
1: so it's okay to say that she was hot <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> uh she's from boardwalk empire is where i knew her best yeah i never watched uh, it yeah it was really good and her and charlie cox have a uh, relationship in that show uh future daredevil and uh she's the voice of merida from the brave movie which my daughter really loves the Pixar film, you know? Yes. The girl with all the... Yeah. And various other things. Yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, the, my issue with Transponting. Yes, your issue. My issue with it is that it's a very good film, but they just create story elements out of nowhere. There's these drug addict criminals, and every day they come up with a new reason to get more drugs. So all of a sudden, we're just going to create this thing where these Russian sailors have all this coke... Or heroin, and then we're going to do so. They just it just came out of nowhere, where they're just like, oh, this is what's going to happen. So then the last like fourth of the movie becomes it becomes all of a sudden a score film where they just have to do this score. It's like a to me, it's like a ninety percent great film, and then it just it just ends kind of like your ob your uh, average score movie. I haven't read either of the books, so I can't comment. What I understand about the book is that it's full of like a dozen or more characters where there's so many characters in in this world that Irving Welsh grew up in that he gives everybody their own story. And when John Hodge was writing a script from this book, he took what he thought was like the four most interesting characters and made a story around them. So I guess the book is way fleshed out with more of Edinburgh and their their population. And this is just what John Hodge found the most cinematic. So, The Matrix.
0: (laughs) Yes. It feels like we have a whole bunch of movies like train spotting and clerks and even the matrix all yelling into the void what the hell is the meaning of this life Hmm. what are we trapped in and it always feels like we get a sequel (laughs) that is these characters 20 years later all saying there was no secret and it was all bullshit and this is life and we have to come to terms with the fact that life isn't that exciting and we should settle for what we have (laughs) or in the matrix's case we have people that have the argument here it always feels like is what is this american dream What is this thing and how am I going to best use it? And the sequel is, the American dream is bullshit. We just have to do our thing. And the fun thing about, and I'm, this is a new thought right now, right here. The Matrix is fun because it's almost like the Matrix is the American dream and it traps you and you always sit there and wonder, what the fuck is this? And it's not until you break free from that illusion where you're able to come to terms with what life is. So in Matrix, Resurrections, once again, re-trapped by the American dream. And once again, they're breaking free, and they're older and they're wiser, and they realize that the only thing that really fucking matters at all is... Me and you. So it's a theme that repeats, and we see it repeat again here, where we once again see the same cast of characters really past the point of wondering where the American dream was
1: and them kind of just coming to terms with the fact that this is their lives. But unlike, unlike The Matrix resurrections to me this one Trainspotting 2 did it in a way that they did a different kind of movie and they made it exciting with its own story they didn't just regurgitate everything from the first one
0: all of these sequels is that thing that we get though like and it's kind of a statement on its own that the sequel is a lot like the original
1: because nothing really changes not in our lives and not in their lives yeah i see your take on it i'm just saying that t2 train spotting is a different kind of movie because the first one was about whatever they just came up with to score heroin and this one is more to my viewing begbie's movie and it's a revenge tale It doesn't start out as a revenge tale, but it follows that trajectory and then ultimately becomes a revenge tale and is a little more action oriented at the end. Uh, so that to me was a little different. That's that's how it, it proved itself worthy of existing differently from Trainspotting. Even though, of course, yeah, it's a it's a sequel to that movie, so it shares a lot of the same uh, elements, but it becomes something different. Yeah, they made it twenty years later on a budget that was next to
0: nothing, and he says he did that on purpose to keep it true to the original. Um, budget of eighteen million, box office of forty two. So at the very least, they broke even. All the actors got paid the exact same amount That's with cool. the promise of back end if the movie was a success. And it came out and it did well and it was regarded well, and that is it. There were some camps that said this movie was a terrible failure, and some camps that said this was one of his best movies. So Trainspotting 2 takes place 20 years later. And it's E1 McGregor. <laughs> <the worst>. Uh <laughs> coming back to town literally has not been back since he stole all of their money so he knows by coming back to town that he's potentially in for some trouble the first thing he does is he visit the visits the
1: family house uh his mom has died dad's still there i feel like that's the reason he came back is because the mom died no he was homeless yeah but he could have went anywhere and I don't think he would have went home if not for the fact. Because they set it up that way. Like, he comes home and he, they immediately start talking about his mom. She did this and she did that. And she left the room just like he wanted it and stuff like that. So, anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. I just felt like that was the reason he was finally like, all right, I got to go home. I don't know. They, and I don't know if matter. they necessarily really say. So, we start
0: the movie with him uh, having his long Ian McGregor hair, Ewan McGregor hair on a treadmill and he has a heart attack falls straight off backwards it was awesome pretty good scene you don't know what i assumed that he was really high on that and then
1: he collapsed because he was really high I don't, no <laughs> way people do drugs and then jump on a treadmill <laughs> It just doesn't happen
0: maybe drug addicts <laughs> do i don't
1: know i guess not his kind of drug addict though if he was still on heroin i don't think he'd be doing a treadmill starting off in a gym immediately told me that like well renton's cleaned up And he's a health nut now, and he really has got his life together. Or they want you to believe that.
0: Next thing we know, he's coming back to town, visits his dad, his mom's dad. They did a really cool thing with mimicking scenes, because another way that this movie ties together with The Matrix is they do a really good job of layering in the old movie into the movie. Like where we see those
1: little flashback scenes It reminded me a lot of the way they used it in The Matrix. When he's sitting at the kitchen table with his dad, you can still see the mom's shadow on the wall. Yes! It was awesome! That was messed up. And then he immediately goes to see sick Spud. One of the other uh, things... Is when he's coming into town, Edinburgh has been gentrified. Like a lot of places in this new millennium, especially around 2020, everything's cleaned up. It hasn't hit every portion of every every place in their area. But for the most part, I mean, he's on this nice uh, commuter train and he's driving through all this. You can see like H&M and Starbucks and all these stores just everywhere. Like it's clear to him that like this is not the city he left. Like it's definitely not the shithole it was. Sick boy. He has purchased the bar that they hung out at. He said it was his aunt's. Really? Yeah. He said he took over his aunt's bar now. Wasn't it the one from the original? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Oh. But he said the, the great gentrification wave has not reached him yet because he's still kind of in a shitty part of Edinburgh well no isn't every building torn down around the bar except for the bar yeah but nothing's been put in its place it's right just for some reason been torn down so or so, it yeah, all just fell apart
0: definitely doesn't have a lot of business
1: but i think that also helps for what they try to do later in this business they're trying to create is that nobody seems to be paying attention to what he is doing out there so that's why they feel like he get away with it because they're still in the <laughs> shitty part that nobody wants to touch i guess so yeah, yeah. he meets sick boy back in the bar but we do learn more about sick boy before they meet up and that he's still uh, apparently a drug addict he does coke lab but he is doing these extortion things with his with his bulgarian girlfriend oh, yeah. who's a prostitute or a high priced escort where they record her having sex with businessmen and and people with families and high-paying jobs and without their knowledge obviously and then they and then he uses that recording to blackmail them into getting money so he's 20 years later still living a shitty life where he's a criminal he always seemed like the character that wanted to be the gangster and what are you
0: when you're like a teenage kid and you want to be a gangster like you're just doing stupid shit but he never really graduated to anything this is like double a ball and he started at triple a 20 years ago no he started at single (laughs) a 20 years ago maybe he was practice league and then he moved to single a yeah something gotcha he's pretty low tier Retton's back he goes to visit spud
1: who is still a drug addict well he apparently cleaned up And he was with his then wife, Gail, and they had a son named Fergus. But because, (laughs) this is the stupidest thing, because he didn't understand, (laughs) uh, yeah, daylight saving time. He was an hour late for everything, and it (laughs) fucked his life, life up. He lost his job, so he collapsed back into doing heroin because he had no prospects. And then the wife wants to divorce him. His son, he lost custody of his son. Whatever. I forgot about that
0: and I can't believe I did because it was so funny. So
1: he decides to commit suicide because he's just like, he's a fuck up and he thinks that, you know, as uh, apparently a lot of suicidal people feel is that his family would be better off without him. So I thought this was one of the best scenes though. Wouldn't you know it, Renton comes to visit Spud right at the moment when Spud's trying to kill himself. So he in essence, saves his life. But then he has that great line where like, Spud's angry at him for saving his life. He's like, you fucked up my life, and now you're fucking up my death. And the one person that wasn't supposed to be mad at him was
0: totally mad at him. Even though he left Spud his cut, what did Spud do? He blew it on nothing,
1: but heroin isn't this just who these people are though they just seem to blame the world for all their i hate people like that i can't say stand... why well, i shouldn't say hey but i can't stand people like where they just constantly blame the world for all their problems if this hadn't if this thing hadn't done that to me i would be here but maybe that's the difference in renton is that he's actually not that person anymore like that's what he's learned in these 20 years and that's why he felt comfortable coming back but also because begbie is apparently in prison at this point yes so i don't think he's actively thinking that anyone's going to kill him if he comes back because begbie is the only person that probably would kill kill him uh sick boy would definitely beat the shit out of him which is what happens
0: yeah begbie's in prison we see him in prison he gets his cellmate to shiv him <laughs> that was so that he, he has to go to the hospital <laughs> at which point he is able to escape so he is literally throughout the movie
1: on the run from the law as a prison escapee i think this is really robert carlyle's film I think I said this earlier, but I just feel like it is like he is really given like the best character in here. Everybody else is just playing a future version of themselves. He is able to come back and just be the exact same person, just be a total POS, just horrible. And it's fascinating to watch. That is interesting. All these guys
0: haven't seen Renton since 20 years ago. He's been somewhere else, life stories and character growth. Bigby has also not been seen by them since that day, 20 years ago. But he's been on pause. He doesn't have life experiences. He's been
1: waiting for his life to start again. And so, yeah, he's the exact same. That's a nice observation. And I'm fascinated by he's given a second chance. Well, he's not given. He steals a second chance at life because he escapes. And what does he do? He has no even desire to change. Like, he just wanted to get exactly back to what he was doing so he starts stealing again and he is the most uncomfortable character everything about him and that
0: actor is amazing just because we know people like that everybody Mm -hmm. knows somebody like that that you're friendly to them because it's less work than having to deal with the fallout of telling them what you really think totally and so you always have to tiptoe around their feelings and try not to piss them off it's so real You feel for the other characters knowing that that burden is around. When we get to the end of the movie and the conclusion of that, even then, they could have done whatever they wanted with him, and we would have felt
1: okay with it. (laughs) Yeah, probably. So, yeah, so he gets out. And, yeah, he goes home to his wife, who... uh, hasn't seen him in god knows how long although she may have visited him in prison um but his son's all grown up and he wasn't really prepared for that like he didn't realize he didn't put that in his mind because he's so focused on like i just need to start thieving again uh because revenge isn't even in his mind like for his all it it doesn't come up to that he's even thinking about renton he seems probably pissed about being put away basically for around that time but he doesn't actively try to find him or anything but he gets his son to like forces him to start helping him break into people's houses and stuff and it's so shitty that the son just goes along with it the son who's about to go to college yeah exactly who has prospects but the dad is just like fuck that he's going to for hotel management which dad thinks is stupid oh it's totally stupid but it's a legitimate way to live your life yeah. in this society so i think that's fine it's so <laughs> lame but whatever uh so yeah so he pulls the kid in just to show what a bigger uh, asshole begbie is he doesn't even care that his son has prospects in life he just wants him to pull him into the family business of even he they go to a house petty theft steal just some trinkets and shit and they go
0: to a fence to sell it the thing that kept going into my brain and i don't know if it hit yours was he's carrying this 4k tv into the fence like it's supposed to be a great score but then we see that the fence has like, cr- or pallets of TVs in his place. Like, this guy is so small time that the fence shouldn't even be dealing with him. But I
1: feel like it's just because it's him and people just are nice to him so they don't have to deal with him. Even the mobster boss or whoever that guy was is just trying to appease Begbie too, almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I yeah, it's like he was almost a man out of time and because like you said, he was paused for twenty years where they're like, Yeah, they seem to be humoring him. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, but he's one of the best, your old man, blah blah blah. And then he's like, Yeah, here's your yeah, we'll take your little shitty TV. Obviously, I don't need it, but fine if it makes you feel better. We finally get Renton meeting up with Sick Boy
0: because he just strolls into his bar, which is ballsy. We get the confrontation that we expect. Sick boy kicking the shit out of him. It was a good fight, too. Yeah. He wakes up from being passed out on the pool table. And and at this point, Ewan is planning on just going home the next day. He would just came to visit. But that, no, that's
1: bullshit. Because he was never going to go home because he didn't have a home. He was going to go home to move his stuff out of his Well, he, he makes it sound like... It, it makes you believe that he's he's working out. He's cleaned up. He tells sick boy he's married. He has kids. Like, life is going well for him. And he came to pay... Sick Boy, the four thousand that he stole. Yes, uh, which he probably could have mentioned he had the money before he kicked his ass, but he probably would have kicked his ass anyways because he thought that was pretty petty, like no interest either. <laughs> You're just coming back for four grand. Like, what's what good's that gonna do me t- twenty years later? Uh, I think Sick Boy makes him feel guilty enough because all he was gonna do was go back to London and clean out his apartment because apparently he's getting divorced. He doesn't really have any kids. His life isn't that great. Although it's better because he's not an addict, but it doesn't seem to be that great either. So I think we're back to the rent. We used to know in that he doesn't really have many prospects. Oh yeah, he said his job, like they're they going to merge. So he's, he's seeing the writing down the wall that he's not going to have a job there anyway. Waiting to be laid so, off, yeah. yeah. And then the nostalgia hits him and he and I think he wants to make up for uh, betraying them. So all those things put together, he ends up not leaving and staying and helping sick boy with his new venture which is they're trying to turn his bar into a brothel or a sauna as they call it where veronica would be the madam and they would have uh high class customers and and prostitutes and stuff like that uh and he would be a pimp basically yeah it's his dream but they go about it in a legitimate way they're trying to get a business loan (laughs) which is pretty funny
0: right and that's (laughs) that's that fun piece of being a grown-up where you gain knowledge and that's where ewan is like uh, have you considered applying for a small business loan and they actually do it because
1: he what is he he's an accountant he has he skills to talk, the talk. Yeah. yeah oh one of the funniest scenes is is um they were trying to get money and so they go to that they go to this meeting of i never heard about this but it seems legit that there's all these sympathizers there was a war in 1690 and it was the catholics versus the protestants and the protestants they, they lost I guess yeah
0: I don't know a shit about Scottish history like
1: that made yeah. me second
0: guess myself is like is this movie in Ireland like there that conversation made sense I didn't know it
1: yeah it was definitely Scotland it was something like they lost and they and there's, there's the ancestors of all the people that fought in that 1690 war uh, kind of like uh, Civil War uh southerners who still like are all about confederates we we deserved to we deserved to win and stuff like that you know there's like sympathizers with that way of life so these people are called like the 1690s because that was the year so they like infiltrate this meeting of them and there's just a bunch of people like at a vfw who just get together and drink and (laughs) sing songs and then they got to they sing this song (laughs) it's super funny it was really well done um but they just go there because everybody's so drunk and dancing that they just steal all their credit cards and their debit cards and stuff and it was so brilliant because they just knew that nine out of ten of those debit cards their pin would be 1690. i thought that was so fucking clever and they were right so they go they steal all those cards they go to an atm and they get all this free money because they knew the pin code and just a really smart detail there of pulling
0: it 10 minutes before midnight So that the withdrawal limit ends at midnight and they
1: could just pull him again in a few minutes. (laughs) It was really smart. That was so good. Yeah. yeah. something. Oh, he gets uh, sick boy gets busted, right? That was right around then. Yeah. Yeah. So then they this is the only part of the movie I felt was a real fan service is that they brought Diane back. Kelly McDonald's character because she's now a lawyer and he needed a lawyer so Retton got her so she just has a small little cameo it was fine but it just was like out of everybody you could call and i just thought that was that was fan service i guess it was and i liked it yeah. so i guess they piss away all that money on legal fees and his drug habit so all that money they got from the 6090 guys was wasted again so then i think that's why they go for the business loan no
0: they are at, in the dumps and they're like oh this sucks they get back and they're like you got approved for the business loan Right. They yeah, had yeah, applied yeah. for it way earlier, forgotten about yes, it. Yes, you're right. And then they got it, yeah.
1: Oh, and they bring in Spud because he was a construction worker. So they have him help to build the brothel. So that's how he's involved. I think that's about all the setup you need, isn't it? Because that's how you get those three guys back together. And
0: the thing I really like, Spud's redemption story in here is probably my favorite part of the movie. We've said it before, we'll say it again. The whole concept of a movie is the main character is supposed to be different by the time the movie ends. If he's not different, then what was the point? And sometimes that's the point, and that's cool. But so seeing Spud go from death to new life by the end of this movie was awesome. I think it's more Spud's movie than anybody else's. Do you? Okay. Yeah. But yes, they bring in Spud, and he handles the construction of the second floor and it starts looking awesome and we see them slowly building and Somebody makes Spud
1: start to write. I think it's Sick Boy's girlfriend. Veronica. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's always telling story because they're kinda working together. Like she's the uh interior designer almost for his construction work. So they just start talking and she likes his stories. She tells him to write his stories down and he thinks that's actually a good idea. Because Renton, when he was trying to help him after he saved him from suicide, he's like getting clean isn't how you don't do heroin anymore, you have to be addicted to something else. Like, you'll always be an addict, just make it something else. So he's trying to, like, you know, you can exercise or box, so he tries out the boxing thing, does not work. But I think when Veronica tells him you should write, that's what sticks. And that's what he ends up becoming an addict for, is writing. So, But that's an important part, because that leads into... Big B.
0: So Sick Boy, early on, when he's still pissed that Renton's back, meets up with Big Bay and lets him know that he's back. But he doesn't. He lets him know that he was seen in Holland, where he was living or wherever Amsterdam and soon they're gonna get together and they're gonna find him and fuck him up but he tells them to stay
1: away until then because the heat's on he needed to tell him something because he knew that Renton could show up anytime he needed to let him know that Renton he had seen him but he wasn't here And that would keep Begbie away. But at the same time, I like the fact that Sick Boy didn't tell Renton that Begbie knows of his existence still because he's still not quite sure if he wants to fuck over Renton or not at the very end. After after Sick Boy gets what he wants, he might still fuck him over. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't ever come to fruition, which seemed like an empty plot thread to me because he was very clearly telling Veronica that I'm going to become friends with him again only to betray him. But he doesn't really do that.
0: No, and they get... You see them get past that, and I think he identifies that I could have fucked you over at any time and I didn't. We also have them separately immediately plotting with Veronica to take all of the money for themselves. No matter how much they've changed, they're still themselves, and they're immediately plotting to run away with Veronica,
1: take the money, and do whatever. Well, they're both in love with her in their own way yes so friends betrayal first there's an opportunity then there's a betrayal as Spud says this movie goes meta a couple of times reminding me of another sequel
0: that will go unnamed <laughs> i swear to god there's a scene where ewan talks about just say Renton doing a sequel he calls out the fact that they're doing this all over again and then there was another part them talking about story structure was also very kind of meta because they broke down the story structure of the first one or of the first train spotting that it's risk, reward, betrayal or whatever and they were following that story structure here and they were to the reward part now we're going to get to was it conflict and then betrayal? something like that and so they were marking it for us in a very meta way okay, we got a reward now there's going to be a conflict and that's where we get Big B I see, yeah, yeah, yeah Bagby just happens to go to a nightclub. Oh, we forgot about the Viagra.
1: Well, there's a running theme in that he, he's home, but he is seeming to have uh, issues having sex with his wife. So he's hanging out at that place where he sold the TV to, and there's all kinds of Viagra pills in a fridge. It, it didn't seem to come necessarily out of nowhere. It, it seemed legitimate that... This place trafficked in everything and and appliances and like stolen goods, also pharmaceuticals. So he just happens to find the fridge with all these blue pills in it and they're Viagra. So, but he left his wife because the son was telling his dad, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm not you. I have prospects. So Begbie was like, fuck all you. And he leaves. So now that he's got Viagra, he wants to get out on the town and go get laid. So that's why he just happens to go to the same nightclub that Sick Boy and Renton are at. Right. I mean, it's a funny scene when they both realize they're sitting next to each other in the bathroom stalls, Renton and Begbie. It's obviously a huge coincidence. It comes out of nowhere. But they both realize by the voices that, oh, fuck. (laughs) So then Begbie realizes that, that Sick Boy lied to him, that Renton is back in town. So it becomes a good chase. Uh there's a confrontation in a parking garage but Rhett makes it out with just getting his arm cut. It's pretty fucked up, but I mean it's staged really well. I feel like Danny Boyle really knows how to shoot some action. He was going to do the James Bond movie after this. He was going to do the, the No Time to Die film. He was up for that and he dropped out of it for whatever reason. I feel like he could have been a good choice for it. Yeah, you know? he could. And I think maybe this movie kind of showed his skill in directing action. Obviously he's done other action type movies like 28 Days Later and stuff. Anyway, so it all comes due ahead right because Begbie is now actively looking for revenge against Renton yes and he goes to spud yep and this is the part where I think is a nice well before he goes to spud he goes to his family one last time and kind of has a uh, an emotional moment where he, he basically admits that he's a man out of time. Uh this is not how it was for him growing up where he his son has prospects and that's not something he had so he wishes his son good luck. And I thought that was like wow like this guy's such a piece of shit, but it was kind of a nice touching moment. And then he goes to find Spud to intimidate him into finding where Renton is and that's when he realizes that Spud has been writing down all the stories. But he loves hearing about himself. Loves hearing about and himself. And I thought that was a great scene, like where he's he, he's such a good actor in that in that in that scene where he makes Spud read stories of his past. For me, it's the tension with the way that he uses the
0: character and the way they treat him. You're sitting there worried about Spud in that scene. And when you see that turn where his ego has kicked in and he's happy that Spud's been writing the stuff down, like you feel that relief, but you're still a little scared that he's going to cut him for no real
1: reason. Yeah, he's going to kill him anyway. This is what I was feeling the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> but he does let him go. Uh, Veronica shows up because she read his stories as well. I don't know exactly why she went there. Maybe she was just wanting to tell him she liked his stories. I don't remember. But that's how Renton, or that's how Begbie gets her phone and then texts both Renton and Sick Boy to say, Meet me at the bar. They think it's coming from Veronica, who they're both in love with. Yes. But it's actually Begbie setting it up and quite convincingly gets everybody together in one room for the very end of the movie. Yes, a great end scene. Spud had
0: left Veronica his finished book, and that's why she came to see him because she read the book and she loved it so much. So, yeah, we're at the end game. We're at the old bar. Johnny Lee Miller and Ewan McGregor are both there, and they're like, What the fuck? And they both
1: realize. That she's not coming. And why is she not coming? Because she pulled the train spotting and betrayed them and stole all the money because another thing that came out of nowhere is that Spud was good at uh forgery. Yeah. So she had him forge their signatures on the business loan. So then she got the hundred thousand and took off back to her homeland of Bulgaria.
0: Her and Spud were in it together. She he got fifty percent.
1: So we have Spud turning the tables in doing what happened in the first movie but he doesn't want the money because he'll just piss it away so he wants her to send it to his family yes so yeah everybody betrays each other but now we have the four of them because bud goes to the bar as well to, to to try to warn them but it's too late baby's already there they all fight <laughs> there's some great scenes in this fight like
0: this is a good movie i don't know if we've said it but both of these movies are good movies you should watch them
1: yeah both these movies are good
0: danny boyle is a great filmmaker and i don't think i've given him a lot of credit before today everything is so damn visceral in these movies where you're you're in there uh there's a part where big b throws Ian mcgregor through a floor you mcgregor through a floor the way his back kind of lands on one of the rafters in that scene like i felt pain yeah like i was squirming painful.
1: during this fight it was so <laughs> real Well, he almost gets, he falls on that rafter, and then he gets tangled up, and (laughs) he's getting hung, and is just going to let him basically hang himself, but uh, Sick Boy comes up, they all get into it, and then Spud, who's kind of a wimp the whole movie, he finally takes a toilet because, you know, it's under construction and nails Begbie with it and knocks him out. They tie him up and they throw him in the trunk of their car. So that's pretty much how that all wraps up.
0: Spud having his spine for the first time Mm -hmm. ever, standing
1: up for himself, taking down the biggest bully in the whole world, Spud's movie. And then what do they do? I mean, he's been a, Begbie's been a fugitive this whole time. So all they had to do was drive the car to the police station. And that's how he's in the trunk as the police are coming out. To see, like, what the fuck's this about? So that's, you know, they took care of him. So he'll just be back in prison. That's, yeah, they just nice. took
0: him back to jail or prison. Yeah, they didn't have to kill him
1: or anything. They're not murderers.
0: But they could have. Like, <laughs> they could have killed him real good. But we have this moment before the fight really starts. Ian is hiding in a mirrored room. Big B is coming there. And Ian starts Bigby. telling him a story. <laughs> um, Oh, shit. What was he
1: talking about? <laughs> I don't know. This time I did not ruin your train of thought. You did see yourself. Um (laughs) so the this movie's good. That's just yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, see you later. (laughs) (laughs) I just I appreciated that they did things differently with this movie. They 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 did the same movie, you know, they gave it a proper sequel because it's the same kind of film. It's the same characters. But they kind of changed the genre almost and a little bit near the end. I thought that was nice. It was a nice action film as opposed to just a score movie. Danny
0: Boyle, he's like 60-something. And he does a great job of capturing that middle-aged, where do we go with our lives now? How we're talking, like you have the teenage angst movie, and then you have the middle-aged angst movie. Is there a genre of elderly angst movies, like Cause I don't think there's ever a point where we're ever not angsty, other than maybe.
1: I think like um, one that always comes to my mind is uh, as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson, the James L Brooks film. Yeah, like that is an that is an old person uh, angst movie, <laughs> the way he is. Yeah, that's pretty good.
0: But it just makes me wonder if you know after we get out of middle aged, you either open up and you're free and you've accepted the world as it is, or Yeah, like Right now, movies are telling us that old people have given up and there's nothing
1: to their lives. There's no angst or anything. Well, where do they go from here? They're in the exact same... They don't make it any further. They don't have the money. The the only thing they're going to do is come up with another way to get in trouble, basically. That's all they can do.
0: Yeah, because this movie ends with Veronica back in her home country, Mm. reunited with what appears to be her child, and she's the winner. And once again, everybody is the
1: loser because when you
0: what is the moral of this story
1: once a loser always a loser
0: once a loser (laughs) always a loser
1: oh uh, another thing is that the whole brothel thing fell apart because there was another there's an actual gangster called o'doyle or doyle who runs all these things uh in uh, in and around scotland and it's just like what were you going to do you're going to take my clients no this is never going to happen so he intimidates them and makes them drives them out to the woods and makes them strip down so they're naked and he makes them have to go home naked just to prove his point. Like you're not starting this. So the whole thing just falls apart on him. Yeah. And he's very clearly telling them, and you're losers, right? You know you are, right? And Johnny the Miller's like, Yeah, we're losers. We are. So they never get ahead. They're just they're always losers. So they're really the only thing they can do is um I guess in T three, they're gonna just come up with a new scam to try to shit away their lives. <laughs> And maybe be successful someday
0: with the clerks <laughs> three at the very least in theory he's a successful small business owner like there's no setup here for t3
1: that has them coming out better i see this as like an important addition to train spotting and that it Gave us the uh, what happened now with Renton because what what happens now that he stole all that money and how does everybody react to that? So, this answered that question, but there's no question now left at the end of this movie, so there's no reason for a sequel after this. I think it was fine to see these guys 20 years later, but there's no reason to see him again. No, I don't think so.
0: i it, it sounded like they were all open to it, but I just yeah, yeah, it just seems like it'd be more of the same, but anyway, uh, I really liked it. Well crafted movie that, yeah, it everybody. Why do you think it didn't really hit? I remember when it came out, but
1: when it came out, I just had no interest in going and seeing this thing. A lot of these movies that come out, it's just like, unless you are actively watching the first one, I don't know how you'd be excited to see the second one. Yeah. and it, it hit But maybe own. now is streaming because the Matrix movies, for instance, are so readily available and promoted even on like hbo max or even netflix or wherever they are people are maybe more excited to watch the resurrections because they had the chance to see the other one but how many people are really checking out train spotting around the time the sequel came out i don't know you uh tweeted that article uh about the guy talking about uh texasville yeah Yeah, I thought that was really good because he had the best point in that he's like, yeah, of course it bombed. It came out in 1990, and The Last Picture Show just was not available. Wasn't available. Like, for people. So why would you think a sequel to a movie that nobody could see was (laughs) going to work? And I'm like, well, that's a very good point. Movies should be available to be seen by the public i'm gonna say that that's my thing but I now can't. it's 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 more of a thing movies are now readily available more than they've ever been now so i could see decades later sequels working from here on out more than they've had in the past i guess
0: the writer of that article retweeted me because there was a warning it popped up and said a person with many many followers has retweeted you would you like to limit replies to like be able to warning cut me off from yeah. if i had said something terrible but yeah it was a great article that's funny
1: and I think it was very old. Well, next time you need to tweet it with our with our podcast account. Thank you. I'll get the social guy Match to do that. Account. God. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, the social guy. I hate that guy. Um, we just have an AI working for us. What a dick. So yeah, these
0: were train spotting, and T two train spotting. What
1: the fuck is train spotting? Did you bother to Google this? I believe it was a deleted scene from the first movie uh, where you saw it in the second movie, though. Spud is reading one of his stories about how the four of them were at an old train station and they ran into an old wino, and it was Begbie's father. That actually apparently was a scene that took place in the original that was cut out. Really? And the the old wino says, what you boys doing here, train spotting? That's just what he says. So that's where that comes from but it wasn't in the first movie but i'm not sure if they shot it and it was cut out or it was written and they didn't shoot it but now they reshot it for this new one but it looked like it was shot for the original and they just finally used it in this one whatever i guess that's what it means people that watch trains people that will away their time loitering and doing shit train spotting is a
0: colloquial 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 80s british term that means being obsessed with any one trivial topic whether it be drugs (laughs) football or sean connery movies (laughs) And yeah, that is about all I have to add
1: to this episode. Well, cool. I'm glad we got to talk about Danny Boyle. Uh, there's other filmmakers I'd like to talk about, but they just haven't made sequels. So I know it's hard to, hard to do I, that.
0: I need to revisit some Danny Boyle because he's good.
1: But I have a theory that living long enough and having a career long enough, every filmmaker will eventually make a sequel to one of their movies.
0: That's about it i don't have anything else to talk about uh you should follow us on social media it's great we have a guy he's very exciting um you should review our podcast tell your grandmother about our podcast aaron what are your final thoughts uh nothing awesome all right well bye everybody and have a great day all right see you thanks bye